There we go. Got video finally. And start streaming. Do I have to start streaming and recording? On yes. Okay. Start sure. streaming. Start recording. Cool. Real life? I believe so. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Rules of the Arena episode 34. This episode is made possible by Blind Ninja Studios, where you can find this show and others such as Department of Fence, Homebrew Bound, Soundwave, and Legends of Lothos, and my new show called No Story Left Behind. We are also brought to you by Duck Hill Workshop, a small-scale sawmill and builders of fine furniture. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, both at Duck Hill Workshop. And don't forget to subscribe. God, I'll get it right one of these days. No, to won't. their YouTube channel, where you can find, uh, where you can watch episodes of Workshop Wednesday. Uh, in the studio with me tonight is my co-host Ben, who's also doubling up as producer since Casey cannot be with us, unfortunately. Hello. And joining us from Tennessee is Josh from Amputee Blade Runners. If you have listened to episode twenty-seven, you might have heard about Amputee Blade Runners from our conversation with Sydney Smith. Uh, thank you, Josh, for taking the time to chat with us. Please just introduce yourself a bit to the folks listening. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, like I said, my name is Joshua. I am shooting for single name status, so you don't have to worry about anything else. Just Joshua, like Madonna, Cher, you know, <laughs> folks like that. How's that uh, working? Yeah, it's a you know I picked a really difficult name to try to achieve that, but it's still it's a great goal. Uh, but yeah, I have been the executive director of Amputee Blade Runners. We provide um, sports legs or uh, running legs for active amputees um, across the country. We have about 40 states covered at this point, and uh, all of the services that we provide, we provide at no cost. That's awesome. So how did you first get in touch with or get started with Amputee Blade ABR? Yeah. So I've known there were uh, really three men that were responsible for the creation of ABR. Um, two of whom I um, had known actually even worked with before they started it. So the three guys were um, Aaron Fitzsimmons, Ryan Fan, and Nick Campbell. Aaron and Ryan are both prosthetists, and um, I used to work with them um, in a vascular surgery practice. When Aaron was running prosthetics for that organization, he still does, and Ryan was doing his residency. Um, and then just because the world is a small place, I didn't meet Nick until after I had already um, accepted the position and was working through everything. And as it turns out, um, his grandparents and my wife's grandparents were best friends um, decades ago. <laughs> hmm. So did you go to school, medical school and originally plan on working in a vascular surgery office? No, uh, medicine, healthcare uh, were not at all on my radar uh, in my original plans for goals. Uh, I started off actually with, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I wanted to be, be a judge. I figured that would be a great thing. Uh, the only way I knew how to do that was go to law school and learn a lot about the law. And then as I realized going through law school, I had about a year to go, I realized this isn't really where I see myself. I, even if I want to be a judge, that's maybe two or three decades down the road if all of the right things happen to fall into place. And it's hard to bet your whole life on a maybe. So I started examining why I wanted to do that job. And I realized that what I really, the itch that I wanted to scratch was problem solving and helping people. I realized that healthcare was a great place for that. So I'd worked, uh, at the time I was already working um, in vascular surgery practice, uh, put myself through school, uh, and that just seemed like a great way. My wife was also in PA school at that time, so uh, it made the common language a lot easier. So there were a variety of reasons that encouraged me to move from one career path to another, but it's been 15 years and uh, counting, and I'm having a blast. <laughs> How much did that throw a wrench into your graduation, going from law school into a medical field? Uh, you know, I still graduated. I just I stopped doing anything after graduation. I had, <laughs> uh, since I knew that I didn't want to practice law, uh, I didn't have to study for the bar. So hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, that helped out a lot. It meant that I had a lot of other things uh, to learn. A lot I learned um, as I went, and then um, a couple of years ago, I went through uh, a master's in management uh, for nonprofits, which of the past 15 years I've been in healthcare, the past 
about 10, I have been in nonprofit healthcare, and I thought it was time to get some formal education on the specific sphere that I had wound up in. I thought after I'd been doing it for, you know, seven years, yeah, it's probably time to, this is what I want to do. I'm enjoying it. I'm not going to jump to a completely different career field. I might as well stay and learn as much as I can. Sure. And I, I honestly didn't know anything about AVR until we were talking to Sid and I started looking you up on social media. Uh, how did you first find out about them and when did you officially join the team? Sure. Um, so I'll answer that in reverse. I started about two years ago. Uh, I have always known about ABR ever since um, it first started. Uh, they started about a year or so after um, I left uh, the same uh, vascular surgery practice that Aaron and Ryan were working with, uh, but I had stayed friends, um, Facebook friends, personal friends. Um, Ryan has since moved to, um, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, he is in Savannah, Georgia now. So we hadn't you know, physically seen each other much, but I had stayed in touch with Aaron. Um, and really, you know, the, the genesis story behind ABR is, is one that I love and I'd love to share it with you. But it really started, Ryan was the impetus for it. So Ryan grew up uh, as a child of the 80s, like everyone else, he grew up riding a big wheel. So when he was about three, he was riding his big wheel around uh, the neighborhood and a guy in a pickup truck just wasn't paying attention, hit him and dragged him about a hundred feet or so, wound up uh, at Vanderbilt University here in town and had what's called an ankle disarticulation. So uh, removed uh, the ankle and foot uh, and the rest of the leg was able to remain intact. And Ryan did not have uh, necessarily the best of uh, home life circumstances, uh, but he didn't let any of those things hold him back. So he went to uh, the Shriner system in uh, the closest one is in Kentucky. It's about three and a half hours or so away from Nashville and went there for his prosthetic care, which they uh, did a great job of providing him for walking feet. But uh, a running leg was just not something that they offer to him uh, or really what um, it's kind of outside of their sphere um, or their goals. So he wasn't going to let anything like, well, I don't have a foot and the foot that I have is uh, meant for walking and nothing else. His dad had said like, hey, I'm not treating you any differently than I would if you had two feet. So that's great that you want to play football. You got to mow the lawn, I'm not putting <laughs> you in a bubble rack, you know, get out there and live your life. And uh, as he was you know, doing that, he told me recently that he could tell that his foot was about to break when he started liking how it felt. It was just, it was the process of the foot uh, slowly cracking and breaking. But he was a very good athlete. I was the MVP of the special teams unit on his high school football team. And then he was actually the first amputee that Shriners asked to play in their Tennessee East-West Shrine Bowl, you know, kind of their big awareness, fundraising, see what we are doing, support us kind of event. And in the middle of this game, Ryan breaks his foot off and Ryan just sees this as, well, yeah, I mean, I break my foot off all the time and goes over to the sideline, grabs a roll of duct tape, duct tapes his foot back on and, you know, all right, coach, put me back in. I'm ready to go. I think most people who were watching that were a little surprised. <laughs> and, uh, one guy in the prosthetics industry, he was not a prosthetist, but had a relationship with one and said, hey, you, know, you should see this kid like he is really getting after it he just he needs something more so a uh, guy you know made ryan a running blade and said here i want you to have this i want to take care of you in this way i know you can't afford it this is just it's my way of helping others so ryan used that he had already did uh I think he had a partial scholarship at the time to go to Tennessee State University, which has a huge uh, Olympic track and field history. That's where uh, Wilma Rudolph went. Uh, if you have seen the documentary, The Lady Tiger Bells, uh, it's just a fantastic program. I believe that TSU alum actually have more Olympic medals than the majority of countries that participate in the Olympics. So just great, uh, no pun intended, track record there. <laughs> so through those relationships, Ryan runs with able-bodied athletes on his uh, college track team. I think is the first amputee to compete in a Division One conference championship, 
and then winds up running in the Athens Paralympics. So he is, uh, you know, out there. He's in the same Olympic Village with Michael Johnson and, you know, all of the uh, track folks that probably everyone in the U.S. knows and remembers. And Ryan uh, won the individual bronze and a team gold medal. He toured with uh, the traveling Paralympic team for a few years after that and is still the world record holder for the 60-meter sprint. So after he finishes all of that, uh, he actually he missed the Beijing qualifiers by something like three hundredths of a second, like about as close as you Oof. could possibly be to making it and not quite getting there. So then he's 25, trying to decide, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, in a similar situation <laughs> that I had been in uh, just a couple years before, and he realizes, hey, you know, prosthetics has meant a tremendous amount to me. I would like to stay um, in this industry. Went to Northwestern, became a prosthetist, and then as he's doing his residency back in his hometown in Nashville, he's doing it with Aaron, who had been in prosthetics for ten or so years at that point. He got his start uh, doing just some volunteer work for the guy that ran the prosthetics for St. Jude's in uh, West Tennessee in Memphis. And, and he had been told by Ronnie, that prosthetist, like, hey, you've, you've got a lot of talent. If you wanted to become a prosthetist, you could be a really good one. So Aaron had done that and then, you know, sets up his own practice a few years later back in Nashville. He's doing overseas prosthetic, you know, mission stuff. Um, in addition to his regular job. And then he and Ryan are on a run one day, and Ryan says, you know, every good thing that I have can be traced directly or indirectly to someone giving me a running blade and, you know, not charging me for that. And I would love to give that to other people. I don't want that to just be me that benefits from that. And so really ABR is a combination of uh, their ideas of, service to others in general, but specifically it wound up being a focus on folks in the U.S. who uh, need a running blade and more than just a piece of equipment, they need that whole person care that comes with prosthetics. So uh, when ABR says yes to someone, it is not just, hey, here's a blade, best of luck. It's no, come spend a week with us. We are going to make this work for you. We're going to make a socket. We're going to Get whatever blade you need. If you need a prosthetic knee, we'll get that. Any components uh, that you need in order to be really successful, we're going to provide that for you. And then, you know, really the third person in there, Nick, uh, does all the fabrication. So prosthetists do the uh, measuring, um, casting, and the design of how they're going to get something um, to suspend, how to hang on to your leg. And then uh, Nick's job is really to make that dream come true. So using carbon fiber uh, and whatever additional components to create that long-lasting thing that will hold on to their leg and will be comfortable and then you're putting running blade on that, knees on that, two if you're bilateral, whatever it is. So that's uh, that's really our genesis story. Sure, sure. You said you you know people come and you know come stay with us for a week and we're going to work with you. Uh, I think everybody's seen Forrest Gump and the character Lieutenant Dan. He lost both his legs at war, comes back and he hits a pretty hard bout of depression, and and it takes him you know eventually comes back out of it. But do you see or, or work with any patients? that are kind of in that similar spot they're like you know Sid talked about you know he, when he first had his amputation he was went through depression at first are you guys trained or equipped to help with that or at least refer someone to well here's here's a, a therapist or you know whatever the case may be to help right right yeah and if um, if Sid did not share um, some pictures you should ask him for the times that he has dressed up as Lieutenant Dan because it's a <laughs> spot-on uh, picture. So get that from him at some point. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, limb loss is just death of a spouse in terms of grief predictor. It's really about the hardest physical, emotional thing that someone is going to go through. Uh, there were times when I was working in the vascular surgery practice where uh, one of my roles was scheduling amputations. I'd be scheduling any kind of surgery, but uh, I've been multiple times in the instance where the doctor says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to remove part of your limb. And then it is, and the very next step is go down the hallway and Joshua's going to pick a time for me to do that. 
So I have I've interacted with people when they are processing. Uh, there have been people who have you know told me like I can't imagine life without my foot. It doesn't matter that foot hasn't worked in a while. Uh, this is it's part of me and it's going to the grave with me even if it's the thing that puts me in the grave so uh, it really it it comes as no surprise that a lot of people um, see it or anyone else has gone through depression related to that so I do not have formal training in that uh, that one of my board members who is also uh, a bilateral baloney amputee um, he does he is a certified uh, peer counselor and he does um, a lot of that work in his uh, regular job and also uh, kind of in his volunteer stuff but uh, we don't deal with it for abr uh, that's not a super common all day everyday occurrence because who we serve so we're serving people who uh, have already been through they've been wearing a prosthetic leg for at least a year and the adults uh, we require them to run at least three five k's um, leading up to it so it's people who have already come to terms uh, with where they are what they have and where they want to go and uh, they are a very forward-facing optimistic group at that point that's not to say that there aren't still uh, challenges and struggles there certainly are but uh, the subset of the limb different population that we work with is really those who have been through some of the worst things that you can imagine uh, most of the people that we work with have lost their legs from trauma like ryan uh, a uh, cancer uh, that's actually the so of the i'll just give you some big stats there are about 135,000 amputations done in the u.s every year 80% of them are for the elderly, diabetic, dysvascular, Medicare age person that has mobility goals of, I'd like to get from my bedroom to the living room. Uh, maybe I'd like to be able to walk through the Walmart parking lot to get to the motorized scooter, you know, something along those ends. So uh, the other 20%, the 20% that are more likely to apply to us for services, it's 10% trauma, 5% cancer, 4% infection and 1% congenital. Uh, so that's really, it's it's a different um, reason for a lot of things. So those people have already, hey, if you've already gone through something where uh, you were in a motorcycle accident or you had bone cancer or uh, you know you had a terrible crazy infection and you went septic or you know something like that, uh, and they pulled through. Uh, you know they are they're really able to withstand a lot there's a lot of mental fortitude emotional strength that they have so you mentioned you, know, you have a, a board how many people work at or work with abr now yeah so i'm the only uh employee so i'm uh, you know chief cook and bottle washer but <laughs> like i said i have no formal training in prosthetics so um, you don't want me making your leg uh, <laughs> don't worry i never would uh but we have a great volunteer base. So those three people that uh, we had talked about, they still pour in a lot of time and effort. There's another prosthetist that uh, works alongside Aaron uh, here in Nashville, Justin Darm, who I believe um, he was the one who made the original contact with you. He also, uh, he and his fiance manage our Instagram page, which is I think how we originally made this connection. So you've already interacted with Justin a little yep. bit on the other side of things but collectively you know those four guys probably donate um you know hundreds of hours a piece every year and then there's lots of other people doing a whole host of other things so some on the uh, mission vision you know fundraising awareness other support things that are more um, board role things and then uh, it's just it's a lot of uh it's a lot of our athletes or their family members that also wind up volunteering with us in some capacity. And sometimes that's because we are so widespread. You know, there are about 200 people that we've served in about 40 states. If there's someone new that applies, a lot of times we will try to connect them based on uh, similarities, either geographic similarities or amputation level, reasons for amputation, uh, you know what their profession is anything that has some kind of tie that binds 
and then they can reach out to them and say like this is this what it's like to go through this process this is you know what it's like to go to nashville and get a leg these are also the kind this is how i hold my leg on this is what my running blade looks like in a lot of education um, and advocacy work too that um, that we've really built a strong base with since launching in 2011 is that correct Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How many athletes have you been able to work with and help since opening? So it's um, probably a little over 200 at this point. Uh, for the past few years, it has been somewhere around, you know, 30 to 40 new people that we're able to help every year. And then uh, we provide continuing support uh, for others as long as they are using uh, what we have provided and they are paying it forward in a manner that I was talking about, that they are uh, just being good ambassadors for what we are doing and they are also trying to help others. Uh, that's really, that's the goal. It's frequently the children that we see the most frequently you know, year over year because of course uh, they're changing and growing and what works great for somebody today, they will probably grow out height, weight, both um, in a year 18 months, two years, somewhere in that time frame. So, uh, summer, this summer has been especially busy. Um, you know, it's now mid August, so we're kind of at the tail end of it, but we've had a lot of back to school legs. So, you think about all the things that you need to get ready to go back to another semester of school, and you have your pens and pencils and paper and binders, but, you know, a lot of kids also need new legs. Yeah, certainly um, something you're not going to see on the shelves at Target or Walmart. Maybe you just come over exactly. to my house. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's, we're heading into, football season and cross country season. And, you know, even if it's not completely redoing stuff, it's, Hey, you know, what tweaks do we need to have so that you can be really successful in uh, what your uh, athletic goals are, not just academic goals. And you said you, you work, you've worked in 40 States so far. Do you do any work internationally through ABR? No, uh, there is a, there's a huge need for better prosthetics and more prosthetics and more people to do this kind of work. But uh, right now, uh, and some of it is just the ability to provide that continued help. So uh, right now we just have to focus on people within the U.S. I will say if there are, if anyone listening to this knows of anything like us that is out there internationally, I'm trying to... Um, create more lists with that at least once a week I get an email from someone in another country um, usually it's Asia Africa uh, some Pacific Rim where people are saying hey I either I lost my leg and I've seen what you all are doing and you know how how do I get out there and get a leg too or is there anyone that does this that could help me out uh, so I'd love to provide better answers than usually what I have to say is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, we have a U.S. focus. If you wind up moving here, that's an option. But uh, it just it doesn't really make sense for someone to come here and we make them a leg and then they go back and then, you know, we need to make a tweak. And, you know, then they have another seven thousand dollars, seven thousand mile trip right. to make. So mm. right now it's just a U.S. focus. Makes so, sense. You're based in Nashville, Tennessee. How do you go about getting someone fitted if they're not located, you know, within a, a reasonable driving distance? You know, Sydney, for sure. example, he's out in Utah. It's not, yeah, can't, can't exactly drop a hat and just drive down the road for that. Yeah. So uh, when they first come out, there is, uh, you know, we just have to say, hey, we are going to provide you with um, this leg, or Sid's case, two legs. Uh, actually, in his, we wound up doing four because he does a lot of cycling as well. So, uh, you know, wound up with four different sockets. But, uh, you know, we can't do what we do uh, without having a lot of real hands-on, eyeball-to-eyeball, um, touching people kind of experience. And it takes about a week if you just work like crazy and you work uh, late hours, early mornings, weekends, everything else, uh, where people get enough experience using the leg to make sure that we're making the right leg so we say we're going to handle all of that we will buy all of this stuff and we will make that which cannot be bought but uh, the skin in the game for our athletes is find a way to get here uh, now there are uh, 
families uh, that actually I'm right now in the guest bedroom at my house, and there have been a lot of ABR people who have wound up um, <laughs> sleeping on the bed that I'm sitting on right now. Uh, but a lot of people um, involved in ABR that wind up helping out in that way of saying, hey, I, I, there's not a whole lot that I can offer, but I do have have space here for a lot of people, uh, fortunately, Nashville is within a day's drive of the majority of the U.S. population. So a lot of people, it is a, yeah, sure, it's a it's an eight-hour drive or less. But certainly, yeah, there are people like Sid and others further west that it's need to find a time, hop on a plane. Uh, but it also, the great thing about it is they're in a different environment, and I think it really opens them up to being willing to try new things because they know everything that I'm doing this week is all about making sure that my legs are going to be the best that they can be. Mm -hmm. So they don't have all of the distractions of, yeah, but I, you know, I've got this work thing. So I've got an hour that I can go down to my leg and get something done. It's just, uh, you focus on this one thing. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, the more you focus on something, the better outcome you will have on that thing. Right. So if it takes about a week to make, oops, sorry, Ben. I was just going to, so talking about all this, spending a week, having someone come in, um, I have this uh, a, an interesting connection to this topic. My dad's been a prosthetist for 30 years. Um, I know how expensive this is on top of all the other expenses of bringing someone in for that amount of time. Like, how does your funding work? Sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the cost for us um, to say yes to somebody and I'm throwing everything in for the bilaterals like Sid or unilaterals or, you know, above knee, you know, there's lots of, there can be a wide variation in the cost, but the average cost for a new person for us is $3,500 in equipment things. Uh, it's great to have everyone else other than me volunteering their time. So there's okay. a lot of, uh, cost that is there. It's just not, you know, dollars changing hands. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, that's really, it's family and personal cost of people saying, you know, I'm willing to give up uh, spending time with my kids or wife or fiance or anything else. Um, and it's about on average for the people that we continue to provide support for. It's about 1850. Uh, so a little under $2,000 per person that we interact with each year. So that's, that's really kind of what the cost basis is. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, it's, uh, it's a variety of fundraising. Um, it's to me, it's really enjoyable to see, especially how people are able to leverage their own networks. I was uh, got a text message from one of our dads uh, earlier this afternoon, and his birthday was Thursday, I think. And you've probably seen, you know, the Facebook. Hey, I'm going to donate my birthday to this cause. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of people doing that, and he was, you know, really proud. He had raised, he'd raised, you know, eleven hundred dollars. Uh, so we have a lot of people that do things like that where it's a lot of people giving a small amount. And then we have, uh, like any other nonprofit organization, you have uh, your big financial champions that uh, stay with you uh, and they, they really get behind what you're doing. And it's more than just you know an emotional thing for them. It's, hey, I have the capacity of helping you out. There was um, one organization that has recently come on board within the past year that we went to talk to this organization, uh, me and a couple um, of my uh, users, my ABR athletes, a kid and an adult, and uh, we got a phone call a couple weeks after and the guy had said, so you said it was, it was like $3,500 to, to take care of a new person. I was thinking, hey, they're, they're gonna give me $3,500. And I said, yes, sir. He said, so do you think you could help 10 people oh, if I gave you $35,000? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had to pick up the phone off, off the floor. But uh, so, yeah, there are people out there that they really have a sense of why we are doing what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about, you know, it's great to see people uh, running or jumping or whatever the physical activity is that they couldn't do as well they can do better now but it really is more than just the physical thing uh, we have noticed improvement in a lot of different areas people are a lot more confident they're willing to try new things and it's not just new sports that they're willing to try mm -hmm. maybe they think uh well actually you know one of the girls that was doing this presentation that i was referring to she is 
she's either a junior or a senior um, in high school now, but she first came a few years ago and it's a congenital thing for her and both she and her parents just assumed that she would never be able to run. So, you know, when she is in junior high and she comes in and she winds up, you know, running for the first time, then she's like, okay, you know, I, I can run, I can, I'm going to try out for the cross country team. She ran with the cross country team and then that gave her continued confidence. She said, Hey, I wonder if I could make the debate team. So then she was on the debate team. The debate team wound up doing really well. They won the state championship. Uh, she spent time this summer at uh, all of these different places in Princeton and Notre Dame, uh, you know, really developing that. So it was this blossoming. The majority of kids, uh, when I talk to the parents, they say, yeah, grades have um, at least stayed the same. A lot of instances, grades have gone up since we've gotten a running leg from you guys. So uh, it really is, uh, it's the ripple effect. We can impact one thing with what we know how to do but it winds up you know just moving further and further out there hmm. and changing more of that person because you know it's all it's all connected <laughs> do you do any fundraising events outside of like you're saying you had a meeting with one company or one organization you know do you ever put up you know like a bingo or raffle or whatever the case may be yeah, so there are, um, you know, we try to spread it out a little bit. We've got um, a couple of things coming up uh, in the next, now uh, this fall, once it cools off a little bit. Uh, we have always had a golf tournament fundraiser. So uh, we are partnered for the past couple of years with uh, the Nashville Alumni Network for ACC, SEC, and Big Ten schools. So they have uh, done a tournament supporting a Nashville charity for the past few years, and uh, we have partnered with them last year and this year. So that has been a big blessing for us. Uh, we also try to do other things where it's um, either a picnic-style fundraiser or um, you know an evening um celebration for existing athletes some way of spotlighting things you know it's it's the story right uh, one of the most enjoyable things and sid did this with us uh, i think it was three years ago but this is kind of the combination of raising awareness and raising funds um, are you familiar with the ragnar relay series mm -hmm. i am not Okay, so uh, Ragnar is actually based in Salt Lake, so uh, pretty near uh, Sid, but they have uh, distance races. They have them as road races and trail races. I think it started doing a uh, trail race, like a, the eight-mile loop in uh, Mount Zion National Park in uh, Utah. But they, the road races that they do, the one in Tennessee is from Chattanooga, uh, 200 miles to Nashville. So for the past five years, we have had an all ABR, all amputee team um, running that. This will be the first year that um, we've got uh, both. So that's a 12 person group is a regular team. So you run three different legs over a, you know, 36 or so hour period. And, uh, you can also have an ultra team where you can have up to six people. So we will have a 12 person group running 200 total miles. And we will also have a six person group running a total of 200 miles. So we'll have 400 miles run by um, 18 amputees. Um, a few of them will be bilateral. Um, it, it's going to be an amazing thing to watch. I probably should have mentioned this earlier when I was talking <laughs> about how I got involved. I had said, you know, I've known these guys for a long time, but it was really uh, when I was doing a Ragnar relay about two and a half years ago, and I was just doing it for me. It had always been a, hey, we should do this, and I was doing it with my friends, and I had to train running in the winter, which I hate doing because it's <laughs> a, you know, daylight issue. It's either you got to run in the dark and the cold, or you got to run on a treadmill, and between the two, I'm not sure which I like less right. <laughs> so uh but you know i i did it it was a you know mid-march run so uh, you know there weren't really leaves on trees yet by the time you get out there so i was patting myself on the back pretty hard by the time we get to the race and you know it's race day and you pull up to the exchange and you're seeing everyone out there and i see the abr team like oh yeah i forgot about these guys you know go see who i already know and then, you know, I see everyone get out and I realize like, okay, there are 12 people on their team. And between the 12 people, I think there were 10 human feet. 
and it just makes you realize like hey i thought i worked hard to get out there these guys sid and 11 others they worked really hard to show up and have fun and show others like hey i can i can be out here and i can enjoy this race and you know we all have different challenges that we encounter these are ours and we're not letting us hold it back so uh, ragnar has actually supported us doing that race so um, our abr teams have been able to run free um, with them and then you know we try to use that as other fundraising things so this year one of our uh, one of our athletes who in addition to being a 60 something year old um, amputee who runs 20 miles a week bikes 50 miles a week does crossfit days that he's not doing those things <laughs> um, runs his own nonprofit for like crisis pregnancy things and you know i look at him like I, you know i would love to be you when i grow up and uh, you know just have the tenacity that he has and he's looking at us hey man you know we it's it's the kids it's the kids that you help like that's that's really what motivates me you know here i am motivated by brent and brent is motivated by the little kids that we're helping it's like let's let's each pick a story or some other kid that we can do our own fundraising for you know can we use facebook to bring in more dollars so uh, we've got some goals around combining the athletic prowess of you know some of these uh, really strong runners but they are doing it in turn to help you know a seven-year-old kid um, or you know, twelve-year-old just you know trying to get into sports for the first time, or showing them like, hey, you can get back into it. Yes, you had cancer. That does not mean that everything is over for you. So, uh, yeah, we've got a few different ways of going about things, but those are some of the more fun ones. <laughs> so, what does what sets ABR as a company aside from the money that you know you guys are donating these legs? Uh, from others in the industry. I mean, Sid did mention you guys are the best in the industry. I mean, what makes your prosthetics better than, you know, the, the average? Yeah. So um, I will say that really what it comes down to is uh, passion and desire. Uh, when they first started making these things, you know, the first guy that um, Aaron, Ryan, and Nick helped out, um, his name is Brandon. He lost his leg from uh, bone cancer when he was in high school and he was going to college in Nashville, right? When they had finished that conversation of, Hey, you know, this is, let's help somebody like, Oh, Hey, there's this kid. He's playing basketball, uh, intramural, whatever, but you know, he's, he's really getting after it and maybe we can help him. And they went through, I don't know how many different combinations of socket knee running blade that just they didn't work um, it, it was not the right combination or brandon could break it because brandon's just strong and um, and there's a lot that he can do uh, brandon is actually now one of my uh, board members and he's a fantastic ambassador for our cause and everything else but um, it's really it's that learning it's being able to say there needs to be either I need more knowledge or there needs to be better equipment. Um, we have been very fortunate in working with a few different companies in different ways of, um, you know, we encounter a problem and we say, well, you know, we see this problem and right now it doesn't appear that there actually is a solution. It's not just a, we don't know how to do this yet. It's the thing that separates failure and success does not yet exist. So it's, okay, how do you find other people to do that? So um, Phil Auer, which is a prosthetic manufacturer, uh, their composites, their blade design folks um, are also in Utah. So Sid has interacted with them probably more than the average bear. Uh, <laughs> but they have worked with us on, uh, you know, when we say, hey, can we, can we ideate on something? Is there, you know, what if we did this to a running blade? What if we did that? What if we, uh, we helped them uh, with, you know, something with the 50 pound and under? That was a market that wasn't really being served or focused on. Um, and we had said, hey, we, you know, we got a lot of these kids that fit in this category. We would love to be able to offer them something better than what's currently out there. Uh, so kids and adults, a lot of times it's just, it's, bringing people to the table and being honest enough to say this is where the gaps are and how do we move forward with that so it and it's not just on the um, what you would typically think of as the prosthetic device 
things. Um, although there's um, Aaron, Ryan, and Nick are all tinkerers and are always constantly trying to improve something, try something else, see if it works. Um, I just sent um, Sid out a box of new things to try um, last week. So uh, we're, we're looking for people to think outside the box. Uh, one of my favorite stories of ways of doing that, uh, and this just shows where gaps had been. So Daryl, who is another uh, bilateral amputee, uh, was running a, I think it was a 10K race into summer, Labor Day race. I think it was his birthday. Uh, he's 100 yards away from the finish, and um, how he has to suspend, how he puts his sockets on or he rolls these gel liners uh, and those things they're really good in a lot of ways the downside of that is uh, gel liners definitely are not these um, breathable things uh, they cause a lot of sweat and they retain all of that sweat mm-hmm. and uh, daryl wound up losing suction he had sweat so much that he um <laughs> You know, popped out and fell out of his running blades, fell forward, landed on his shoulder, broke his shoulder, and was carted over the finish line on his birthday with his young son and wife had been cheering him on and then, you know, see uh, this moment of defeat. So that led us to realize, like, hey, we really, we need better options for uh, for people that need to wear gel liners. No one likes running in a puddle. Uh, you know, you I have uh, two feet. I cannot, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to always stay in that. It would be like running in a downpour just on your feet all of the time. Uh, And you know what your feet wind up looking like after that. Residual Mm -hmm. limbs uh, can look, uh, you know, like they've been through the ringer. So I worked with a uh, Nashville-based athletic sock company called Swiftwick. um, And they make great, actually, I'm wearing Swiftwick socks right now. Um, and they make, uh, they use a hollow fiber olefin um, is inside it, and that can pull out a lot of moisture. And that's great for um, two-footed runners. And we said, hey, can you make anything like this for uh, people with limb loss? And they wound up making, it's probably, you know, 20 different sizes at this point. But it is designed um, to go, um, to be used for an above or below knee uh, or an ankle dysartic. Uh, so lots of different size um, variations but that can pull out a ton of that sweat and moisture so it's not you know running in puddles so that's just another area where you just have to look at and say okay this is this is not good enough what else can we do how can we make someone healthier and sometimes it's you know it's just taking uh it's crowdsourcing problems so a solution that sid came up with that i tell a lot of other people like Hey, he just takes, you know, like a sweatband, a headband that you would uh, wear on your head, and he puts that right at the top of his socket. So when it's, you know, coming down his leg, he's at least trapping sweat before it can trickle down and get further into the problem. Um, so the sock doesn't, you know, it's just less that the sock has to absorb. So there are things like that uh, where really it's just uh, not being satisfied with inadequacy. And we're not there, you know, there's still, we learn things all the time. We're not um, resting on our laurels. There's always more work to do. Do you get a lot of input from athletes saying, well, option A has kind of worked, but I think if you could do option B, that would be better? Yeah, so it can't, and several times it is, and that's part of why we say we want a week. Like if we were to just say we're doing it just our way and we're not really interested in your feedback or anything else it would take a lot less time but sometimes it's hey you hold your leg on this way and that's how you historically have used uh, a socket would you be open to trying something else yeah sure and you can say like okay you know maybe maybe the other way is going to work better maybe not but maybe there are two different pathways that we need and you need to go you know run whatever it is, um, one mile, 10 miles, give feedback. Is this going to work? Um, what could be different? And there are some people that you just have, you know, more iterations of that, of, uh, Hey, there, uh, so there's one of my other guys is in upstate New York. And, um, I think we sent him 
tour, he had changed um, some things out, and we just wanted to see, like, hey, we're going to send you a few different uh, running blades, and you can attach and detach them and go do uh, go do your routine and let us know what you like more, um, less, why, um, and we can use that for our own for the next person that we help, but we can also use that to go back to the manufacturer and say, okay, for someone that does this kind of thing, he's at this weight category, he's at this amputation level, this is what his feedback is. Uh, and a lot of that I think is um, that we're working through right now is the difference between a distal mount, you know, putting it at the bottom of your leg versus a posterior mount, which would be putting it uh, like at your calf behind your leg. Um, and what are the different um, ways of getting energy return out of that? How do you get the most? How do you get the most forward propulsion in all of that? Um, and sometimes it's just, it's tinkering with things. But yeah, we always, you know, we're not running in it. We need the user to say, this is what it feels like. Um, and it really, it takes a lot of uh, effort on their part to be able to differentiate between all of those sometimes pretty minute changes that we're making. So how does someone get in touch with ABR to begin the process of being fitted? I mean, do they go out and fill it out an application or submit a video? And how do you as a company decide who you're going to work with? Yeah. Uh, so anyone can go. Our website is amputeebladerunners.com and you can see the, um, I think it's one, a running leg, um, link on there and you can get to our application. The application uh, does require a few different things. Uh, so there is just the, who are you, where are you, um, you know, why do you need this? Um, you know, what do you have now kind of a thing, but we also want to know more about the person. So we, uh, want someone else in their community to speak to it. So a reference letter it doesn't have to be from the prosthetist. A lot of times it is, sometimes it's from physical therapist or the surgeon or, um, the PE teacher or, you know, something like that. But really we're looking for someone to say, I know who this person is and this is, you know, what I have observed about this person. And this is why I think that this would be a blessing in their life right now if they had a running blade from ABR. Uh, we also want to know the same thing from the athlete, you know, what's your goal? Um, what can you do now? What do you want to be able to do? And why do you think that this thing is going to set you up for it? What we really don't want anyone to think is that a running blade is a silver bullet. A running blade um, can do a lot, but it's really, if you are on the right path and you are doing what you need to do, this can help that path be easier and you can get to the end more and you can bring along people with you. But, uh, you know, for the same reason, uh, the same basic idea anyway, that I can't go put on track shoes and be an excellent track runner. Uh, you can't put on a running blade and be, you know, an excellent runner. Like you have to build up cardio. You have to build up muscles in that leg, um, in the other leg. You just, you know, there's a lot that you have to do and we want people to know that. Um, and then it's, you know, we want to see pictures and videos, show us what your gait looks like. Uh, for the adults, like I said, we want you to run three five Ks leading up to the application. We're not asking you to set land speed records. We're just <laughs> trying to make sure that people know this is the path that you got to be on. If you want to run in one of our running blades, then first thing you should got to do is you know get out there and start moving. Uh, and it's okay if you're not super fast yet. Uh, once all that is in. Then we just have a series of conversations with them to make sure that we all agree at the um, the process and the board level of this is the right person and right time, um, and we have the capability of helping them. So um, really, it's just you know it's people talking to people and you know seeing okay this is this is what you want and sometimes um, if if someone really just wants another shiny object um, that may or may not uh, wind up being used a lot. Maybe it's just going to be sitting in the back of the closet. Maybe they just want another running blade. Uh, that's probably not the best fit for us. We are really looking for people who, uh, who want to think outside the box with us and they know what their limitations are and they're open to trying a lot of uh, new things or different approaches or a mindset or anything like that uh, we're we're really looking for more than just here is a 
running blade to attach to something and now you know go on and do your thing uh, it's it's a family uh, when you come to us so we just want to make sure that you know the the new family member is going to be uh, the right kind of person that we will probably be in association with for many years to come do you ever have to have the conversation uh, i don't think we're the right fit for you now but perhaps down the road yeah yeah that is not a uh super common thing uh most people that apply they wind up um coming through it's a you know maybe it's a stage thing because um because we spent all summer making lots of things for people and we have a little bit of a backlog now on some other things happening uh, but sometimes it's a uh, hey you know you're you're not uh you just went through this thing um you lost your leg three months ago and you want to get right back to everything and we totally get that and we want you to be there but you also probably need to be wearing a socket for at least a year you're going to have a lot of limb changes and that's the that's the timing issue so even if everything else is there you know there's a lot of swelling that occurs uh, after an amputation and your limb is just changing a lot and we want to make sure especially if you're coming from a long way away but even if not we want to make sure that the thing that we make that you know if we're going to give you a week of our time and a week of your time of taking off school work whatever uh, that this thing is going to work for as long as possible so that's why one of the requirements that we have out there is you should at least be wearing something for a year before it makes sense to work with us because we don't want to make the greatest leg that you've had and then you know four months later well I, you know i can't wear it anymore i've, I've shrunk too much <laughs> uh, that's just that's not the position that we want to be in so we're just trying to make the longest term impact and sometimes it's an emotional thing uh, and that's where our uh, amputee ambassadors that talk to them they get a sense of that probably better than anyone else because they've been through that too of hey i'm I know you can get there, but right now um, you you got to get your mind right, and um, you know, and we can help you through that. But first, work on the mental aspect, and then the physical can come after that. And a lot of those people, you know, wind up over months or whatever uh, completing those obligations, and they wind up coming through to us. And once you do fit someone with their blades, do you help educate them on care and maintenance of the blades or maybe their, uh, you know, in Sid's case, stumps or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, and as far as, uh, you know, the training beforehand, there are, I wind up having the same conversation. You know, it, it's amazing in all of the, you, you, limb loss impacts everyone and it doesn't really matter if it is, uh, there's not really any difference between geographic location, socioeconomic background, um, what kind of amputation you had, why you had that amputation, how um, long ago it was that you had the amputation. A lot of people that are in this position of being really active that they need uh, something better. They also, they don't know the things that they need to do with their own, like the things that they can do right now to make uh, not just running, but you know, every day, uh, walking, you know, digging ditches, whatever it is, they can, you know, make life a lot better in other areas. So there's a lot that we try to do even beforehand of, uh, what muscle groups you need to work out, how to desensitize your leg. Uh, that would be the biggest thing. If people would just, you know, learn how to desensitize, um, and how frequently to work on desensitization, that would be, um, a huge thing. Um, and probably every amputee needs to work on their hip flexors. That's the other thing that you see like, oh, I, I don't know that I have the muscle control to control the um, the spring that I'm now getting on this running blade. Uh, but yeah, once they're there, uh, you know, sweat management, what I was talking about with Swiftwick, that's another big thing that we try to work with people on. Uh, but what they can do with, uh, with a four millimeter wrench there's a lot that you can do to change the angle of something to swap out between uh, your walking foot and your running blade to uh, the you know how frequently you should be changing out uh, the sock that goes in between your plastic foot shell and uh, the actual prosthetic foot uh, you know 
a lot of people say things like, oh, you know, I, I have always been told that I can't get in the water with this. And yeah, I, I don't really know of any prosthetic that you uh, can't get wet. Now, we want to make sure and you're rinsing it out with clean water, get the chlorine off, get the salt water off, whatever it is, uh, dry everything out. But, you know, there's no reason that you can't do these things. So there's a lot of things like that, especially for athletes like, you know, it's Friday night and they're in a football game and they need something done like you know what are they gonna do just pause the whole game and then come mm-hmm. to nashville and we're gonna do something for them like or just no. run over the sideline you duct tape. to know <laughs> what you can do make those changes yourself uh it's it should be about empowerment uh so for the when we work with kids a lot of it is pouring into the parents of knowing these are changes that you can make and this is what you should be looking for and this is what you can do and, you know, you need to be able to give that to the kids so that as they age, uh, they have this sense of freedom and uh, independence that they might not otherwise have. You know, we're not interested in building a lot of people uh, who need us to do what they do. We look at people like, man, you guys are doing incredible things. How do we amplify that? Not how do we give you a crutch? Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening and they already have prosthetics, but they're not necessarily looking to be an athlete per se, or they're not looking for long distance running or whatever the case, can they just reach out to ABR? And if they just have questions, maybe they weren't given enough advice or the best advice at first. And they're just looking, you know, how can I take care of what I have now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, more always, uh, eager to help others to spread the word. Uh, there are, uh, like I said, there's just, a general lack of uh, advanced knowledge in working with active amputees because they're they're 20%. They're the minority of the limb loss group in the U.S. Um, So, you know, when there is one population or one segment of the population that's 80%, that's what everyone focuses on. That's what the manufacturers focus on. That's what they teach you about in school. Um, That's what insurance companies care about. You know, it's this one thing and then it's oh yeah there are there are other people but well let's just hope that this you know i mean a lot of times you know you see a seven-year-old or a 27 year old wearing a great diabetic leg but that's really that's what the leg was it was designed with an old diabetic in mind Um, and it's great if you're an old diabetic but if you're not maybe there are other things maybe your body can do things that uh, it won't be able to do in a few decades, but um, for right now, teach it to be able to do these things. Of course, if anyone's listening who would like to learn more about ABR or donate to the organization, where can they find you and how can they get in touch? Yeah, um, so you can either go to our website, www.amputeebladerunners.com, uh, or our social media pages at um, Facebook and Instagram. I believe it's both, you know, facebook.com slash amputee blade runners um, and you can make both on um, the facebook page and our website uh, they're one of the first things that you'll see because yes we are a nonprofit. you will see a uh, donate here donate now um, donate 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 button <laughs> um, somewhere on that it's a little bit harder to find in instagram instagram is uh, just starting to figure out how to allow um us to monetize nonprofits to monetize uh, but they keep moving around where they put things and how frequently <laughs> it can be out there uh, so yeah that would be uh, the best ways of um, reaching out uh, if anyone cares to do that we'd love to um, just know you know a little bit about you why um, this meant something to you uh, i was just looking at it the other day we've got around i think 350 people or so have given through facebook um, just this year so that's that's a lot of people that uh, maybe it's just you know a friend of a friend that um, was served by us or maybe they heard a podcast or anything else so i always just like hearing uh, how people came to us but always appreciate the support well thank you again for taking the time to be on the show taking now your evening and thank you for everyone that's tuned into this episode uh, if you'd like to stay up to date with future guests and episode make sure to follow the show on twitch and you can also find me on 
Oh, where my notes go? Holy mm-hmm. cow. <laughs> find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Rules of the Arena Podcast. You can also find this episode and others at blindninjastudios.com slash ROA. Also available for download and streaming on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and CastBox. And make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can watch live recordings of previous episodes. And don't forget to check out my new episode called No Story Left Behind, a podcast featuring military veterans talking about their careers while serving in the armed forces. If you'd like to support the show, there's a couple ways you can help out. Uh, Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also support the show directly by heading to patreon.com slash rules of the arena podcast. I have a couple ways you can help out there. If you'd like to get a hold of me or be on the show, please shoot me an email at ROAPodcast at roapodcastinfo at gmail.com Thanks again folks and we will catch you next time.